Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. I want to admit something to you. Confess, this is the first time I've been around a lot of people in a while because uh, Laura has, um, has gone out to Nashville. My dad was joking with me. My mom and dad are here, by the way. They're sitting right back there. And if I say anything wrong today, it's because of my dad. But if I say anything that makes sense and helps you, it's because of my mom, right? Uh, but no, I'm glad they're here with us. But, um, but no, we, um, dad is kidding me because last time I preached at their church in Gatlinburg, Laura had gone to Nashville and he said, I think she knows when you're preaching and she plans these trips out of town, right? So, but no, she's helping our girls. They're getting ready to, to move from one place to another and, and she's gone ahead to, to prepare the way for me to do what I got to do when I get out there. So, uh, but I've spent a lot of time this, uh, this weekend with, with my dog, Silas, and uh, me and him's got to know each other a little more personally this weekend. And he's one of those dogs that when you sit down on the couch to read or relax, he wants to get right up in your face. And, and so uh, just to kind of make him mad, I knew it'd make him mad, I started blowing in his face. Any of y'all had a dog? You ever done that to your dog? Now, you have to know your dog really well to do that because sometimes they'll get, they'll, they may even snap at you. But I was blowing in his face, and it was making him mad. And, and then we went to the dump that same day. He always rides with me going to the garbage dump, and I rolled down his window. And you know what dogs do when they ride in cars, right? They stick their head out the window. They don't like for you to blow in their face, but they love for the wind to blow in their face. And I, and I started thinking about some, some other things that just doesn't make sense to me or things that just make you want to, you know, you know, these are deep intellectual things, questions that just make you say why. So I, I'm going to read just a few of these, and some of these I came up with and some of them I got offline, but, but here's one, very deep, very intellectual. Why do toasters have a setting that will absolutely burn the toast, just a horrible, horrible crisp. You know, why, why, do they, why, they, why can't they just eliminate that, that setting on a toaster? And, and here's another one. Do we have any dentists or anybody that work in dentist office? And, and we had some in the first service. None? Okay, well, good. I, don't, I won't get anything thrown at me, will I? Why, why do dentists do this? They wait till you can't speak, and then they ask you a question, Right? They ask you a question, and they've got both hands in your mouth and all these instruments, and, and they say, how was your vacation this year? And you're like, uh-huh. and they act like they know what you, you said. I think they just do that because they're very bored, and they just want to have something to do. Uh, here's another one. Um, why do people pay, and this happens in our town, why do people pay to go up tall buildings or tall structures only to pay again to put money in the little binoculars to see things back on the ground? It doesn't make sense. If you just look at them while you're on the ground, you can save your money when you're up there, right? Our small group is going this Tuesday to the bridge in Gatlinburg, and I promise you some of them will put money in those little, but not, and look at things down on the ground. Here's one, and this may show my age. If Jimmy cracks corn and no one cares, why did somebody write a song about it? And if that went over your head, you're just a little younger than I am, so... Get somebody that's a little older than you to sing it to you after church. But it doesn't make sense. And here's one, too. Why, when we recite the alphabet, we're just kind of going along, and we get to L-M-N-O-P, and we just say those really fast, just A, B, C, D, and we go L-M-N-O-P real fast. Why are some of you right now saying the alphabet in your head <laughs> to see if you really do that? But you do. We do those things. 
And, and here's one, too, that, that uh, it's kind of a bit unnerving for me that lawyers and doctors call what they do practice. I'm an athlete. I played basketball in high school, played tennis. I'm an athlete. I know what I did in practice. I goofed off a lot in practice. I took some time off. I don't want the doctor thinking of something that he's doing to me as practice. I want it to be game time when, when he's doing something, right? And, and here's the last one I want to share with you, and, and this is a true story. When I was growing up, and my mom can tell you this, when I was growing up, the first words I said was mama and dada, just like most little babies. But the third word that I ever said was Gilligan. I love the TV show Gilligan, and mom said you'd run around the house in your diapers just saying Gilligan, 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 because I wanted to watch Gilligan. And I watched Gilligan all those years, and, and, and I never could figure out one thing, though. If the professor could make a radio out of a coconut why couldn't he fix that hole in the boat, right? <laughs> Never could figure that one out. But, uh, but anyway, that's, that's just some things that I wonder about, and maybe you can help me answer some of those after the, the message today. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, just a little more audience participation here. I'm going to say a phrase, then I'm going to point to you, and you finish the phrase. In other words, you say the part that goes along with what I'm saying. So if I were to say, God is good, you would say, all the time. And if I were to say all the time, God is good. Let's do it again. God is good. And all the time. Well, y'all did better than the nine o'clock. So I think that half of them were asleep. Y'all did really good on that. The Bible says this about God. God is good and upright. The Bible says the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all of his works. And even Jesus himself, when called by the rich young ruler, a good teacher, Jesus says no one is good except but God, God is good. And, and you know, speaking, my, speaking to Jesus, one of my favorite all-time songs is What a Beautiful Name. And in that, in that song, there's a verse that I love, and it says, it says, you didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, but your love was greater. What can separate us now? Man, I love that song. When I'm mowing the yard, I put that on my, my playlist, and I just put it on repeat, and I listen to that over and over. It just reminds me of the goodness of Jesus. So if I were to ask you today, if you're glad that Jesus decided to step down out of heaven and come to this earth, take on our sins, die a cruel death on a cross, be raised again in three days so that we might have life, how many by just, just raise your hands and say an amen are glad about that? Amen. All right. Y'all are doing so good, so good. I think y'all must have watched the first service, right? Well, here's another question I have, and this is a little more on a little more serious note. You know, with those two things in mind, that, that God is good and we have this good news in Jesus Christ, here's my question for today. Why do we find it so hard as followers of Jesus to share his message with others on a personal level? Why do we find that so hard to do? We do, don't we? You know, the Bible talks about how the Word of God just spreads. And, I, you know, I think Pastor Anthony's going to do a series in the book of Acts coming up very soon. And, and in the book of Acts, the Bible talks about the Word of God spreading on its own. It just kind of takes on a life of its own. The Bible says this in Acts 12, 24, but the Word of the Lord increased and multiplied. In Acts 13, 49, it says, and the Word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And in Acts 19, 20, it says, so the Word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You know, the word of God just spread. You know, we planted some, we planted some black-eyed Susans in the yard. They came from my oldest daughter's wedding 
almost four years ago, and we planted those things in our yard, and the wind just spreads those seeds when it blows. And next year, we'll have flowers coming up where we didn't want flowers to come up, but they just, they just spread on our own. And the Bible says that's the way the Word of God is. It just spreads from person to person, from family to family, from community to community. In the New Testament, the Word of God just spread. So if that's the case, why is evangelism, why is sharing our faith so difficult? You know, we talked about this in our college ministry a few, a few weeks ago, actually, and, and it basically come down to one word. It came down to the word fear. We're afraid of stuff. We're fearful. We're, you know, first, we're, we're fearful of being rejected. You know, and I wish I could stand here and tell you that, that there is a way that you could share the gospel and not face rejection, but that's just really not realistic at all. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, as, as, as followers of Jesus, we have to understand our role, the role of rejection. Rejection comes sometimes just by being a follower of Christ. You know, Jesus was rejected by his own people. The Old Testament prophets were rejected because of their message about Jesus. You know, I forget, uh, one time a little girl in our youth ministry came to me and this little girl was just one of, my, one of my stars. If I had a hall of fame of youth students that came through my youth ministry, she was one of them. Her name was Candace. And man, Candace was just so faithful. And Candace would carry her Bible to school and she'd read her Bible and she would bring friends to church and she was always willing to serve. And I remember one Wednesday she came to me before youth service and she said she was real upset and she'd been crying. And I said, Candace, what's going on? And she said, well, there's a group of girls at, at school. And they're kind of, they kind of been making fun of me and picking on me. And there's one girl in particular that she just comes up to me when I open my Bible. She just says, says some awful things to me. And she said, I, she said I just, you know, I don't know how to deal with it. And I said, well, the Bible says that we need to pray for people like that. We need to pray for them and, and just ask, ask God to come into that situation and, and ask God to give you an opportunity maybe to minister to this girl. I said, don't be mean back to her. Just, just pray for her and just try to love her. I said, and if you can't love her, let Jesus love her through you. And we agreed that we're going to start praying for this girl, and we did. And each week, we would look at each other, and we would remind each other, hey, are you praying for this girl? And this went on for a few weeks, maybe a few months, and then another Wednesday came, and Candace came, and she had this big smile on her face. And she said, you're not going to believe what happened today. She said, I was sitting at my desk at school reading my Bible during our free time, and this girl comes up with me, and she said, I just expect her to, just to start, you know, lighting in on me, ridiculing me, doing all those things. But she said, she sat down and, and she looked at me and she said, I need you to pray for me. And God had, had just shown this girl through Candace's life that when this little girl was going through something at home, that Candace was the one that she needed to come to. And it just changed her whole relationship with this young lady. She started to minister to her. And, and you know, we shouldn't look at rejection as being a negative, but we should look at it as an opportunity for God to come in and do a work in the life of the person that's doing the rejecting and in, and in our lives as well. Uh, the second fear I want to talk about just for a minute is, is the fear of failure. You know, sometimes this happens because we don't understand our mission you know, Jesus didn't call us to, to win everybody to Christ. He just called us to be faithful to sharing his message with others and then leaving the results up to him, right? You know, Jesus didn't win everyone himself, did he? 
We've already talked about the rich young ruler after meeting with Jesus. And you think, man, when people meet with Jesus, they're going to always get saved, right? They're always going to want to come to him. But the rich young ruler walked away not believing. One of Jesus' original 12 didn't really believe, did he? Walked with Jesus all those years, and it just blows my mind that, he, that, that Judas didn't really believe Jesus, and he betrayed him in the very end. You know, there was one town that Jesus was coming to, and he had cast some, some demons out of, uh, of some men and, and into a herd of swine, into some pigs. And, and, of course, the demons destroyed the pigs, caused them to jump off a cliff. And this town that Jesus was going to, to, to spread his word, the people met him at the town's edge and says, listen, we don't want you here, Jesus. Go somewhere else. So Jesus didn't win everyone that he came in contact with. Here's what the Bible says. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives for him. As though God were making his plea through us, we plead with you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. See, our message uh, should just be simple, and we should share with others what, what Jesus tells us. And we're going to see that in our Bible story in just, just a few minutes. Now, the third fear I want to talk about, and there's a few more, but I don't want to spend all day just talking about our fears, but here's the third one. It's the fear of the unknown because I've really never, ever shared my faith a whole lot. I've never really done that a whole lot, and it's just the fear of the unknown. You know, what if they ask a question that I can't answer? You know, that's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? If you're out there representing Jesus, you're his representative, somebody's going to throw a question at you, you're going to want to know the answer to that question, and, and we're uncomfortable when we don't know those answers, you know, and we're kind of a culture that we like to pass the buck a lot, and a lot of times if you ask people who, whose responsibility it is to share Jesus, the first thing they're going to say, well, it's the pastors of the church, or, or it's the teachers of the church, or it's the small group leaders, or it's, it's somebody that has a position in the church, but it's, it's, it's not that way at all. It's equally all of our responsibility to share Christ with others, and, and, and you know, we need to be, and, and I'm kind of stealing this phrase from, from David Quinn, our, our uh, youth intern who had to leave us last week because he preached at our last uh, youth college and young adult meeting. He preached at that, and he used this phrase over and over and over. He says, we need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. He says, we need to be comfortable. If we're uncomfortable sharing our faith, it's okay. But we need to get comfortable in that. We need to walk each day realizing that if we live in this world... And we allow, allow the Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us to lead and guide us. We're going to be a little bit different from the world. We're going to be set apart, and, and it's going to make us uncomfortable sometimes. But we need to get comfortable in that, in being uncomfortable. You know, and if somebody asks you a question that you don't know, it's, listen, it's completely okay. And, and after years of ministry and, and studying and researching, I've come up with a perfect answer. And here's what you tell people. When they ask you something you don't know, you look right, you look right into their eyes and you just say, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it's just that easy. You say, I don't know. And you do it unapologetically because we don't know it all, do we? And, and I really, that does two things to that person. It kind of breaks down some barriers because I think they're wanting to argue maybe sometimes and, and, and they're wanting to know if you're real and if you just tell them you don't know, they realize that you're just being real with them, that you're just a regular person and you don't have all the answers. But then when I tell them I don't know, I follow that up with, but if you're willing to, we'll get the Bible and sit down together and we'll try to find that answer. And if they take that, if they accept that, you're sitting down and you're getting to read the Word of God and they're getting to read the Word of God and His Word is, is what makes a difference and we'll see that in just a little while. 
So this morning I want to look at, and if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. And we're going to look at a story from the Bible that really teaches us some basic truths and some things that we should consider when sharing our faith. And it comes from someone that is probably one of the least qualified people, religiously speaking, to teach us this, but she teaches a tremendous lesson. It's the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. Now, verse 29 is going to be our key verse, but I want to walk through just the first part of this chapter real quickly just to set some background. So John chapter 4, the Bible says this, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. And verse 4 says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, Jesus was baptizing. His message was spreading, just like we talked about. And sometimes that wasn't a good thing because sometimes the Pharisees wanted to lay hands on Jesus, arrest him, or even worse. And Jesus knew it wasn't his time. So at this time, Jesus had to leave Judea to go to Galilee. And in this time, there was three regions that were stacked on top of one another. You had Galilee to the north, Judea to the south, and in the middle of those was Samaria. Now, the Bible says in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. But here's the thing. Now, geographically speaking, he did not have to go through Samaria. There was two other routes. And one of the most traveled routes were traveled by Jewish people because they didn't like Samaritans. Matter of fact, they, they despised Samaritans. They considered Samaria enemy territory. They didn't want to go through Samaria, so they'd get up to Samaria, cut, take a ride across the Jordan River, go north, and come back across into Galilee. That was the route that most Jewish people took because a respectable Jewish man, especially a leader, would not go through Samaria. It's just something they wouldn't do. Now, here's a little background on that. 750 years prior to this event with Jesus meeting the woman from Samaria, the Assyrians had conquered Israel, and they had taken the northern uh, ten tribes captive. And when they took those tribes captive, they brought in Gentiles from all over the region to inhabit that land. Well, some of the Jewish people that were left behind ended up intermarrying with, these, with the Gentile people. And over the generations, they became known as Samaritans. They came up with their own religion. They even built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. Uh, they... they their religion was basically built on some pagan ways and a little bit of Judaism mixed together. They had their own language. They even had their own version of the Old Testament. And listen, Jewish people hated them, didn't like them. They thought they were religious heretics because of the way they were living and because they had intermarried. They did not like each other. So that kind of sets the stage. But the Bible says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Here's the thing. Here's why Jesus had to go through Samaria, I believe. I believe it's because it was God-ordained that he went through Samaria because he knew on this day at noontime, and we'll read that in a minute, there's going to be a woman at a well, and he had to meet this woman at this well because she'd been coming to this well every day, and she was coming for just water, but she was really thirsty for more. She was thirsty for hope, and Jesus was going to meet her this day in her need, and he was going to provide that hope for her. Let's, let's finish reading there, starting verse 5. Eventually, he came to Samaritan village of Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long 
uh, journey sat wearily beside the well, and it was about noontime. Now, mark that word, uh, underline that word noontime, or it may say 12 o'clock. It may say the sixth hour in your Bible. But that's important, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. It says, soon the Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? See, this woman knew that Jesus had already jumped one hurdle because Jewish people did not have anything to do with Samaritan people. And she recognized, maybe the way he's dressed, the way he talks, she recognized Jesus as being Jewish descent. And so she says, why are you asking me for water? Because first of all, you're, you are a Jewish, of Jewish descent, and I'm a Samaritan. She knew the history. But second, she says, I'm a Samaritan woman. And there was also a custom that any respectable Jewish man would never speak to a woman in public that he did not know. So Jesus had kind of jumped that barrier too. He jumped that hurdle, and she was surprised. And then thirdly, she says, and you're asking me for a drink? There was another custom that just basically said that it was a sin for a Jewish person to even touch a utensil from a, from a Gentile person because they considered it pagan. And they couldn't even touch it, let alone drink water from it. So Jesus had jumped three barriers, and this woman was, was surprised and shocked. And then Jesus replied in verse 10, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's starting to shift the conversation from that as a, from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. He's starting to talk about living water. Not talking about water you drink, but something for your soul, something that will last. Talking about salvation. And the woman doesn't quite get that because she looks back at Jesus and says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this is a very deep well. Sometimes the wells could be 150 feet deeper or deeper. Where would you get this living water? And she calls it the same thing Jesus does, but she doesn't know what it really means at this point. She just thinks he's talking about better water because she goes on to say, and besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his cattle? Then Jesus replied, People soon become thirsty again after drinking this water, but the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. And I think at this time, she's starting to see a little bit, but she doesn't still understand. But one thing she does know is he's offered her something that could keep her from coming back to that well every day in her mind. Because listen to her response. She says, please, sir, Give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul water. She don't completely understand, but she says, what you're offering, if it's what you're saying it is, I want it. And then Jesus kind of turns the table on her right here, and he says, well, go and get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Ouch. <laughs> she went from a little hope to Jesus just saying, I know what's going on in your life. I know your past. I know your hurt. I know your brokenness. And this woman had lived that. There was bitterness in her life, probably distrust because of all these failed marriages. And Jesus just kind of throws that out there. And, and it kind of takes her back and it shocks her because in the next verse, she says, sir, you must be a prophet. 
See, for the first time, she's seeing Jesus as more than just a man, and she's admitted here, maybe he's a prophet because he knows these things, but she immediately tries to shift the attention off of her, and she says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist on that Jerusalem is where we need to worship while the Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? I think she's trying to change the subject, get the heat off of her a little bit. But Jesus answers the question, and he, said, he goes on to say, it's really not a matter of where you worship, but it's a matter that you worship wherever you are and that you worship, he says, in spirit and in truth. And he starts talking to her, and she's starting to get it a little bit more at this point. And then he, when he says this line, he says, the Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way for God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth so now she's starting to see this is more than just a drink of water and her reply to Jesus is this I know the Messiah will come see she's heard about Jesus she's heard this message and I think in her mind she's saying I know the Messiah will come the one who is called Christ and when he comes he's going to explain everything to us I think in her mind she's telling Jesus at this point, when, when the Messiah does comes, come, things are going to change. Things are going to get better when he's here. And then Jesus' response to her is this, I am the Messiah, or I am the one you're talking to. I am he. And I think that she was shocked when he uncovered her past, but she was more shocked when Jesus says, listen, the hope that you have been looking for, the Messiah, that person that's going to come, that day has come today. I'm him. I'm the one that you've been coming to this well really looking for all this time. And when the woman hears this, verse 28 says, she left her water jar beside the well, went back to the village and told everyone. Now, we're going to look at verse 29, and this is where we're going to get five things, and it's going to move real quick, but these are five things that I really think that we as believers in Christ need to consider when sharing the message because this lady wasn't professionally trained. She had just come to know Christ, literally, and we'll look at that in a minute. Yet she takes that message and shares it with her village, and, and the outcome is just is, is amazing. And we're going to look at those things. So let's look at verse 29. The Bible says this, verse 29. Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Can this be the Messiah? Come and see a man. Come and see. You know, she gave an invitation right there. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. You know, we're going to give an invitation in a little while, and if God speaks to your heart, and, and, and he touches your heart in this message, and there's a decision to be made, we give an invitation for you to do that. She's given an invitation to the people in her village to come and see. And, you know, it's much like the invitation that, that Philip gave to Nathaniel when Jesus was first meeting the first disciples. It wasn't an invitation that was promising or it wasn't an invitation that was threatening. It was just simply an invitation to come and see. You know, Philip told Nathaniel, it said, Nathaniel, we have found him. We have found the one that Moses is speaking of. We found the one the Old Testament prophets has, has spoke of when they said, Jesus the Christ, Jesus from Nazareth has come. And then Nathaniel answered back to Philip and said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Instead of Philip arguing with him or saying you shouldn't be saying stuff like that, he just simply said, Philip, you need to come and see. 
You need to come and see for yourself. And see, I believe heaven agrees with this terminology because the Bible says in Revelation 22, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's us, the church, say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Anyone who wants to, let them come and drink freely of the water of life. See, that's words straight from heaven. You know, and it's, it's just a simple invitation to come and see. And one thing it's you got to look at this invitation and see is that it is not a selective invitation. It's all-inclusive. It is an all-inclusive invitation. You know, when it comes to who we are to witness to, we should always let God do the choosing, not us. We should always let God do the choosing. You know, when Jesus changes your life, you want to share it with others. You want to share it with others. And we shouldn't pick and choose who we share it with. We should let God lead us in that. Remember I told you to underline that word noontime or, or, or midday in your Bible? Well, here's the thing. Noontime was a very, very hot time to go to the well. And it's obviously not a lot of people went to the well because if Jesus hadn't shown up that day, she would have been there all alone. She was probably all alone the day before and the day before that. See, early in the morning was the time to go to the well. And I've kind of experienced that because my granny and papa, when they were still alive and I would stay with them, they didn't have any indoor plumbing for a while. I had to go to that old outhouse at night, and man, it was, it was scary. Going to that house at night, you're kind of looking around, you know. But you know what she would do every morning, and I would get to go with her sometimes? Every morning, she'd grab her buckets, and we'd walk across the road behind the old barn, and there was a spring that came out of the mountain. And she would take those buckets and she'd get her water and she'd take it back home. And she didn't do this at noontime because by noontime, my granny had already been working five or six hours, you know. And she needed that water to do her work. She needed that water to cook with. She needed that water for us to drink. And you'd always go in the morning and, and the well, Jacob's well was always crowded in the morning. That's the time people went to get their water early in the morning. It was kind of a social event. They would go to the well, they would see one another, speak to one another, and then they'd go about their day doing their daily chores. But this woman didn't go in the morning. Why not? It sounds like she didn't want to be around people too much. You know, some of those people at the well early in the morning, they probably talked about her. They probably made fun of her, much like this, this young girl did Candace. They probably reminded her every day of her failures. So she waited till the well cleared out, then she would go later at noon. She was basically a social outcast. She came when no one was there, but Jesus came to meet her in that place. Look at verse 28. Back up from verse 29, I want to read this. Verse 28 says this, The woman left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, I got to thinking about that water jar. Sometimes you just read past that and you just keep going on. Maybe in her confusion, she dropped the water jar, her excitement to get back and share, she dropped the water jar. But I started thinking about what that water jar represented or reminded her of. And you know, I believe every morning she would get up and she'd see that water jar sitting over there early, early in the morning. And she would think, I used to go to the well about now, but I can't because of all my past failures can't go to the well today because there's going to be people there that will make fun of me, that I don't want to be around, that I don't want to see. And she would look at that water jar and it would remind her of the pain in her life. And as she carried that water jar at noontime in the hot sun, she was reminded even more of, of how her past 
had led her to the present day situation that she was in. But the Bible says after she met Jesus, she left that water jar. And you know what I really believe that water jar represents? I believe it represents her old life. It represents her old life before she came to know Jesus. Because I think right in here somewhere is when she, she became, she was saved and, and salvation entered her life. It says she left the water jar. Now get this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new life has begun. She left that water jar behind and she went and what did she do? She went to tell people about Jesus, and, and it says she told everyone. She just didn't go tell her friends. It says she told everyone. Probably some of the very people she had been avoiding by going to the well at noon was in the crowd of people that she told, you got to come see. You got to come and see. Maybe some of her ex-husbands were in that crowd. It didn't matter. You got to come and see. That is all that was important in her life at this point, at this moment. She had found hope in Jesus, and she wanted to share that hope with others. Listen, if you have hope in Jesus Christ today, you should want to share that hope with other people because there's hurting people in this world. You're around them every day, but so many times we get busy in our lives and we just pass them right by. We just forget about them or think somebody else will minister to them. Let's let the pastor do it. But listen, God has put you in their life, and he's put you there for a reason. But she dropped the water jar, and she told everyone about Jesus. Listen, her invitation was all-inclusive, and so is Jesus's. Listen to this verse. Come to me all, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many of you have ever just been wearied and burdened and you just needed some rest? Man, Jesus invites you to come. How many of you have ever been lonely, have been broken? Jesus invites you to come. How many of you have ever had pain, had rejection? Jesus invites you to come. How many of you have ever, been, ever felt like an outcast, like this Samaritan woman? Jesus has come. Just come to me. You know, I was reminded uh, uh, back when I was a uh, youth pastor at First Baptist Pigeon Forge, um, as youth pastor, sometimes you get the, 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 the bad end, of the, you get the short end of the straw when you have to give, deliver bad news or do something that, you know, nobody else wants to do. There's a group of kids that started skating in our back parking lot. So I was told, as youth pastor, I had to go out and tell them they couldn't skate there anymore. So what, was, what happened was one Wednesday night after service, it was brought to my attention, hey, those skaters are back there skating. Again, that's, you know, they call them skate. The skaters are back there. You know, you got to go tell them they can't skate here. So I was going out through the parking lot, and as I walked out there, there was a man that kind of stepped out of the group. And it was really cool because parents were all around with their cars, and they were parked, and they had their headlights shining so these kids could skate. But this guy came up and introduced himself, and he said, my name's Joe, and I'm kind of the leader of this outfit. And we talked, and he said, listen, we have been run out of every parking lot, whether it's an open business, a closed business. He said, we went to one business. Nobody's had the building for, for five years now. And he said, the police came and still said we couldn't skate there. He said, these kids just don't have a place to skate in this county, and we thought we could come to the church, and the church would let us skate. And my job was to tell them, you can't skate here. But you know what? I couldn't do that. After he said that and after looking at those kids, I couldn't do that. So I said, look, we got a youth building up on the hill. It's got about five or 6,000 square feet. Let's go up and look at it. Because this guy just wasn't a father and the kind of the leader of this pack. 
he owned a skateboard shop, and he knew, he knew how to design things. And, and man, I wish I had pictures of this place, but, but we put a half pipe in that youth building. It was the coolest thing. I was preaching from a half pipe every Wednesday. And a half pipe is just a, it's just a long structure with two big walls on each end, and you go up. I never did it, but you go up, and you grab your skateboard and flip, and you come back down, and these kids were awesome at it. We put up a vert wall, which just means it's a wall against another wall that just goes straight up. And they'd go up to that thing, and they'd hit that thing, and some of the kids would even touch the top of our 12-foot ceiling before they would come back down. And they put down rails, and we invited kids to skate, and man, they started coming to skate. It was just, it was amazing. And you know, it was kind of hard for some people in our church. It was hard for some of the kids in my own youth group to accept these kids because they were different. But I would just try to explain to people, look, God sent them here. I didn't go out and recruit them. God sent them here, and Jesus said, you know, all that come to me, all that God sends me come to me, and he says, I'm no wise cast them out. So if Jesus ain't going to throw them out, I said, I can't either. We got that picture. I think they took a picture. Uh, I don't know if they, if they can get that up on the screen or not. Yeah, here's a picture. This is a picture of about 40 kids, and they came up with a plan to uh, a ministry, and they wanted to help Dick Wellens at Smoky Mountain Air Rescue Ministry. So they had a skate-a-thon, and they raised over $1,500 and gave him. These kids were just, they were just regular kids, except they were skaters, you know? And some of them had tattoos, and some of them had, you know, piercings and things, and they were a little different, but that was okay. I'll never forget the time they came to me and said, David, we need a name for our, for our skate group, for our skate team. And without thinking, I said, well, come up with a name, and then after I sent them off, I thought, oh, maybe I should have had some input in the name that they're going to, because I, I researched it, and here's some of the names that I saw that people were using. There were some groups that were called the Venomous Skate Team. There was one that was called Dark Side Skaters. Uh, there was one just simply called the Lunatics. Uh, sidewalk Thrashers, and I'm sitting here thinking, oh, man. Then I saw this one, and I thought, this is the one they're going to choose, Skate Mafia. I could just see it now. Skate Mafia, a ministry of First Baptist Church, Pigeon Forge. Pack your bags, David. You're going to be gone. You're going to be leaving soon. But what was incredible is they didn't come up with any of those names. They came to me and they said, we've come up with a name. I said, well, what is it? They said, well, really, it's initials. And I said, okay, what is it? They said, CBTB. I said, CBTB. I said, that's got a pretty good ring. I said, what does it mean? They said it stands for covered by the blood. Covered by the blood. I thought that was so cool. They said, hey, we even got a Bible verse. It's out of Revelation. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by the shedding of his blood. And then they came up with this really cool T-shirt design. And we printed these T-shirts, and I still have mine. And some people really thought this was sacrilegious, but it's a picture of Jesus doing a kickflip on a skateboard. Isn't that cool? And I had people in the church come up to me and say, well, Jesus wouldn't do that. I said, why wouldn't he? I said, if anybody could ride a skateboard, man, Jesus could. And I said, if, if he came to this church, he's not going to talk to me and you. He's going to go talk to those skaters, and he's going to be riding their skateboards, you know. And so we had that ministry. But what was really cool in that ministry, shortly after these kids started coming, one young boy, 17, 18 years old, lost his dad. We got a chance to minister to that young man really didn't have much of a family outside of his dad. A lot of other kids had 
tough family life. So we got to minister to these kids. I'll never forget when Joe came to me one cold December night after, after our Wednesday night service, and he said, have you got a minute? I said, sure. He says, we got to go find this kid. And he told me his name, and I said, what's going on? He said, well, he's homeless. I didn't know he was homeless. And Joe said, he's been sleeping outside under some bathtubs underneath this parking garage. He was literally taking these bathtub shells, turning them upside down and sleeping under them to stay warm. We went and found that kid and got him into a house where he could stay warm. Many of those kids were saved and baptized in our ministry. And I praise God that he sent those skaters. And I didn't listen to man, but I listened to God and said, okay, God, if you send these kids here who were considered outcasts in our society, nobody else wants them, we'll take them. And I praise God for that every day. Listen, our invitation should be all-inclusive. All-inclusive. It's for everybody. Now, the second thing I want to talk about here, look at back at verse 29. It said, it said, come, come and see. That's our invitation. Come and see. Come and see who? Come and see a man. Come and see Jesus. Listen, the focus of our invitation has to be Jesus. It has to be on Jesus. Now, we could, you know, it would be really easy for us here at Connect Church to say, come and see. And I'm guilty of this. Come and see this wonderful building that we worship in. And I just leave it at that. Come and see a building. Or sometimes I just say, you know, you got to come and meet the people at our church. They're so friendly. Man, you just got to come and meet them. They're great. Or sometimes people may say, hey, you got to come and see our pastor, Anthony. Man, man, Anthony can preach. You got to come see Anthony. But here's the reality, folks. This building, us as the people, even Pastor Anthony in and of ourselves cannot be the focus of our invitation. It has to be Jesus. It has to be all about him. Everything we do in this place has to be about Jesus. Invite people to come see this beautiful building, but say, look, it's what God gave to us, right? Tell them the story of how God gave us this building. I tell people, come meet the people at our church. They're great because they love Jesus, and they're not just like family. They are my family. They are family. And I tell people, you got to come see Pastor Anthony and, and hear his preaching because you know what? He loves the Lord and he lifts Jesus up, not just on Sundays, but every day of his life. He's lifting Jesus up. I've never been around him that we hadn't lifted Jesus up in public or wherever we are. That's our focus. Our focus should be on Jesus. Come and see the invitation. Come and see a man. Come and see Jesus. That's the focus. Now, the third thing I want to look at, verse 29, come and see a man who told me. She says, who told me? We need to share with people what Jesus tells us. We need to share with Jesus his word. We need to share with people Jesus' word. We need to share his word, what he told us. You remember back when you, were, when you became a Christian? Maybe there's a Bible verse that stuck out that, that Christ used or that some preacher preached on, and that Bible verse is what helped lead you to Jesus. That's what we need to be sharing with other people. We need to be sharing his word. Mine was John 3.16. I was saved at an early age, and, and, and that was one of the only Bible verses I knew. But in that Bible verse, it had everything I needed to know about Jesus that he was sent to die for me, and that if I would just believe on him, that I would not perish, but I'd have everlasting life. We need to tell people what Jesus tells us. That needs to be our focus. You know, I had a, I had a mentor of mine. He was a pastor. His name was John Shepherd, and John's gone on to be with the Lord now, but John always told me, David, he said, listen, speak God's word to people. 
because it's his words that makes a difference. It's his words that can change circumstances. It's his words that can lift people up. It's his words that can bring hope to people. Not your words, but it's his words. And he always said, speak his word. Speak his word and just learn to do it in daily conversations. Speak his word to people because when people hear the word of God, it's the word of God that changes things. And I'll never forget him saying that. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And then the Bible goes on to say, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not our words, but his words. That's how faith enters into people's lives. So we need to tell people what God tells us. We need to tell people God's word. Now, the, the next thing in this verse, verse 29, come and meet a man who told me, and she says, everything I ever did. See, Jesus reminded her of her story, of her life. And she knew what that old life was. And she, I believe when she laid that water jar down that was laying that old life down and running toward her new 